My name is Marcus, and I love comics, but I've seen a lot of hesitation about them from lots of different groups. I know there is more to comic books than what meets the eye, and I want to learn about and share all this medium has to offer. That's why I decided to get a group of friends who don't share my taste or opinions to help me experience it all. Together, we want to share it with anyone willing to hear us out. So listen up, nerds and future nerds. It's time for the VF Comics Podcast. Welcome to the VF Comics Podcast, the only podcast that my mom still hasn't listened to. Every week, myself... Yeah, can you believe that? (laughs) Every week, myself and a collection of not like-minded friends talk about the amazing medium of comics and attempt to leave some reading suggestions for every kind of reader. On this week's episode, we have our social media guru, Mallory. Hi! And we have the owner of Retrograde Comics in Little Rock, James. Hello, hello. All right, guys. So today on this week's episode, we are going to talk about the Sweet Tooth adaptation coming on Netflix. We're going to talk about new publisher, Bad Idea. We're going to talk about some compensation in the comics industry. James is going to recommend a book for us called Thud. And then we'll talk about some cool things that we saw coming out this week. So to start off from the top, I want to talk about this Sweet Tooth adaptation coming to Netflix. It is based on a Jeff Lemire or Lemire story, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Uh, one of my favorite authors, he has written a very lengthy love letter, especially to the golden age, but even modern age of comics in his Black Hammer universe series. And then he's even written some surreal, uh, or he's even written some more like surreal books uh, like one about a father-son relationship in a book called The Underwater Welder, which is an amazing read. So Robert Downey Jr. and his wife's production company have decided to adapt this into a series for Netflix. Have you guys heard about Red Sweet Tooth? Know anything about it? Yeah, I was. Uh, I believe I was on it for the first couple of, of uh, trades. Uh, I was really enjoying it at at the time, and I've been wanting to pick back up on it. I am not super familiar with it, with minus seeing the you know the short teaser trailer for Netflix. That's about it. But it looks really cool. Yeah, the teaser uh, makes the book makes the adaptation seem like it's a lot lighter than what the book uh, was. I found the book to be about a very innocent kid, but some of the things happening around them were very violent. Uh, Just to put it in perspective, the base idea is that this is kind of a post-apocalyptic situation where around the time of this apocalypse occurred, children with animal features began to be born. And so in the trailer, you see a young man who has antlers and he had a little bit more of a deer shaped face in the book than it looks like he did in the adaptation, which is probably just a makeup issue with children. That's fine. But he's not the only animal type. It's it's pretty complicated, actually, once you get out into the world. But he lives isolated 
in the woods by himself with his father. His father passes away and leaves him alone by himself. And so the book is about what happens to him after that. And the trailer for the show seems to give away that he's hanging out with somebody. (laughs) Um, But it definitely makes it look more lighthearted than the book. The book has some very dark, violent moments, uh, even with children. And I just don't... From the, the the tone of the trailer, I'm not seeing that coming to the adaptation. I think they're going to change some story elements, which is great. Like, you know, some of the best adaptations take the idea and make it their own. If I wanted to see the best version of the story, I'd go and reread the book. Yeah, I noticed the difference in the tone in the trailer. Uh, uh, Jeff Lemire has a very uh, distinct art style that lends itself to more more of a, a darker tone. And this looks, uh, I guess, a, a little bit more smooth, clean, I guess. But yeah, I'm like you, you know, different styles, different uh, adaptation styles. I'm I'm really curious to see it. Yep, I think it's going to be, I, I'm excited for it. So if you're looking for something that's an adaptation of a graphic that's not a superhero series, I think this is definitely something worth checking out. It's got just big names behind it, and it looks like it's got the money behind it. I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, but while we're on the topic of adaptations of gra- of just books and gen- comic books and books, is there anything that you've read that you would really like to see adapted as like maybe even just a mini series or series on Netflix or HBO, something that might fit that form very well. I would probably recommend, um, join the future for that kind of format. It was a mini series that came out last year. It was by Zach Kaplan and Peter Kowalski. The, the basic premise is, is that in the future, there are these huge mega cities with all the, all of the uh, benefits of a uh, of a more established government where food's taken care of, housing, healthcare, everything is completely great. These cities compete with each other for uh, uh, to, to get more population. Uh, the rest of the uh, country is you know pretty much deserted just about. There's only like a few small towns left, and it sort of allows the author to to sort of examine the, the the sort of cultural divide that's been going on these days between rural and, and urban uh, populations. It really sort of brings a lot of, of philosophical questions to it. There's a, a teenage girl who's uh, going to leave one of her towns or, or, or her town to go to one of these mega cities and, uh, you know, she sort of has to question her her beliefs about independence versus, you know, all the, the things that these mega cities offer. It's a really interesting book. I think it, it'd work well for that type of uh, a format. It really is, you know, really cool to, to see, you know, how she like, you know, appreciating all of these different uh, benefits from living there. And uh, but but also thinking about her old life. Uh, so yeah, so I think that would work well for that format. That yeah, I think there's really definitely something there. Yeah. yeah, I actually know of a um, comic that is in talks um, with Netflix right now. It is Heartstopper by Alice Oseman, 
And um, she's on her fourth book, and on webcomics, she's on her sixth series. Or she kind of does them by year, I guess you could say. Oh, and so this is a webcomic first series. Webcomic in a book. She she has released uh, some graphic novels that that take a course of a year. It's about two boys in high school. It's kind of like a slice of life slash growing up or coming of age story. But I do um, I did hear recently that she is in talk with Netflix early stages about getting about getting it adapted to TV, which I'm really interested in. Um, it's a really good story. She's really, really good um, good artist and good story writer. And so I would be really excited to see that. And I've read all four of the graphics that are out, and I um, may have spent two hours a couple weeks ago when I found her on webcomics and caught myself <laughs> up with the story. <laughs> you wouldn't have done that at work, would you? No, I didn't do it at no, work. No, never. <laughs> I've never read at work. <clears throat> I work at a library. Come on. Um, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I cannot do that anymore. Oh, man. God, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, now that we've gone over some really cool ideas for adaptations, I want to now talk about the industry a little bit. And so, then my next section, I'm really proud of my title for the next session. And it says, We have to talk ab- about a good idea called bad idea. <laughs> Okay. That's great, right? Are y'all yeah. proud of me? Yeah, clever. Uh, so <laughs> proud of you, Marcus. So proud I'm, of you. I'm learning to be a writer. I'm going to kind of let James take the rein here because James is one of... Now, originally, they were just going to ship books to 50 stores. They ended up expanding. But only 200 stores in the world are carrying bad idea comics. And James is... One of those retail retailers. He is the only. Are you the only shop in Arkansas that actually carries that idea? Oh yeah, yeah. We're the other one in Arkansas and Louisiana, actually. Oh wow, wow. So that uh, I feel like I sound like Owen Wilson. Wow, uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, so James, tell us about this publisher. What makes what makes them special? What's different than just being another indie comic publisher? Okay. Um, well, uh, the guys that were the driving force behind Valiant's sort of resurgence back in the, uh, I guess, late 2000s or so, uh, these guys have had left Valiant, and they're now looking at at uh, publishing, and they've published some, some really cool stuff. Bad Idea is... Uh, a totally different type of company. They uh, they said that they really wanted to run a, a publisher the way that they felt like it should be and, and to sort of tackle some of the, the things that they found difficult in the uh, comic book industry, things like speculation, difficulty working with uh, certain retailers, you know, the, the things that, you know, generally trip up a lot of publishers. Uh, they wanted to to figure out a way to somehow control for all that. So their philosophy is is that they're going to publish strictly comic books, single issue comics. Uh, they're only going to publish two a month, and they will be uh, and and they won't be collected or or anything like that into a trade or anything like that. It's basically bringing back or digital this. at all, correct? Yeah, it, it's, it's bringing back the, the full um, uh, value of, of the individual comic. 
you know, and it, it's really good for us as retailers because it really creates an event like atmosphere whenever that their books come out. You know, there isn't that that trade waiting people can do or digital waiting or whatever. They're just doing comics. And one of the ways that they've kind of, I guess, irked speculators and, and, and some people and, and some other people in the industry is that uh, they have a bit of a sense of humor about things that's kind of kind of interesting. You know, the, the, the name Bad Idea sort of drives their marketing strategy. Yeah. Uh, so, so they just do really strange things every, every once in a while that, that just leave you scratching your head uh, that, that, you know, whenever you look at it, you can kind of chuckle. Um, one of the things that they did was uh, uh, when they published that their first comic, they sent it out to all of us retailers, just a uh, black and white ash can, no real, um, you know, it, it, it the, the creators were unknown. Can I interrupt uh, you for it, a second? It, can you describe to everybody what an ash can is? Yeah, that's a kind of like a, a preview comic or kind of a work in progress type thing. Uh, we get a ton of them from just people who are, who are trying to get their own comics published and things like that. Usually when, when you get them, you can either, you know, sell them or I know a lot of people toss them and, and throw them away. Uh, but in this case, getting an ash can from Bad Idea was pretty significant because that's the first book that they published. We got it in. I didn't know what it was. I uh, stuck it on the uh, on the racks, and uh, I just figured I'd probably sell it to somebody for a dollar or something. Um, a, a customer came in that day and picked it up, was looking at it, walked up to the counter, and uh, was about to purchase it, but took it back and put it back on the shelf. Uh-huh. We had we had no idea what it was. Nobody did. And I think it was like a day or two later, it was announced that that book was the first Bad Idea release. And it created an absolute frenzy. Because whenever you have that few stores uh, offering something, you know, you, you have the issue issue of scarcity. So, you know, people really want that book on top of it. There was only one per retailer. So figuring that, you know, guys close to half of them probably threw it away or or just sold it or whatever, you know, nobody knew what they had. So, uh, now with, uh, in hindsight, now we, we can look back at that and be like, Oh, that was crazy. But then it's like that generated so much buzz for them early on. Um, so how much is that worth now? Well, I've, I've seen them go for eh, around six grand online graded ones, but, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Just, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So yeah, but they've really sort of made a big splash and not only are their books exciting to, to a people who, who collect, uh, they're also just really great reads. Oh, High they are stuff. so good. I think one of my favorite things about what they're doing is they're not focusing on doing like ongoing forever lasting series. Everything's going to end up being like a, you can hop on to a new bad idea series like pretty constantly. But man, what they've output at first, like you guys, I've gotten Tankers, Enioc. I read Wellsville, which was a one shot. And uh, Tankers is so far. It's actually Tankers number two is one of my recommendations later. Um, 
I love that book. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's the dumbest <laughs> book ever. <laughs> but I, I'm in love with it. And yeah. it's very, there's something that's familiar, but original about it that I'm very excited about. Yeah. And there's a, and whenever I talk about quality, I also talk about just how they're made. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the other publishers have really kind of gone to, to, you know, cheap paper and covers are always wrinkling up and everything like that. These books are made solid. Um, you know, every, everything about it screams quality. Uh, you know, the, the prices are, are, are in, in line with everyone else. Whenever they only do two issues a month, you know that they're really pouring everything that they have into those issues. We're really excited to be involved with them. And uh, uh, we're really looking forward to what's next with them. Well, and they're really maintaining the, like, being very hardcore about a set of rules. So much so that one of the main things I found in every news article was their list of rules for retailers. So they have a list of rules for every retailer, James, and I'm going to read these real quick. Um, rule number one is limit one per customer. So you can't get, you can, you should not be able to buy two copies, one to keep sealed and one to read of these series. Yeah. And, and, and if they find out you're doing that, they'll pull from you. Well, and it's, and whenever you say that, you know, that's, that's kind of the old way of thinking nowadays. It's very much about people coming in, buying three or four copies and then immediately turning around and selling them online for a jacked up price. Uh, that's one of the uh, things that they're, they're trying to combat with that system. And honestly, like I, I, I get comics for like people always ask like, Oh, do you want to try to sell some of your old comics? And I'm like, no, like I get my comics to like read them. Like it's cool if I can get a collectible one, but typically I'm, Big reader. Uh, so that was rule number one. Rule number two is they must be sold for no more than the cover price for a thirty for thirty days from the street date. Yeah, rule we've, th- and and that's actually cost a couple of retailers uh, uh, their their spot is bad idea retailers. So oh, they've been selling. They wow. were selling it for like marked up. Uh, uh, yeah, of the and yeah, and, and and they ended up getting booted. Yep. So, I mean, there's, they, yeah, they seem serious. They always um, have, you know, somebody asking to to be a part of it. The, the process of getting approved by them was pretty pretty intense. I, I mean, they had like individual interviews, and you know, wanted to, to know all, all these different things about your business, and uh, you know, it was sort of like a, it, it was very much an audition for them. <laughs> so, hmm. uh, yeah, they're really uh, they're they're really making sure that they keep some of that speculation stuff in check. Okay. Uh, rule number three is bad idea. Comics can be offered for pre-order, but cannot be shipped to anyone before the street date. Rule yep. four is they must be displayed in the highest traffic section of your store. So these are books that they do not want them put on the regular rack with all the other books. James, I know you, you have yours front and center at your front counter. Like the first thing I see when I walk into your shop, yeah. is your bad idea uh display yeah it's uh oh. yeah we uh we really want to make sure people know about this publisher i mean i'm i'm glad I'm, that's why i picked to talk about it today i love it so far um rule number five must prominently display promotional material for mandated time period yep. and rule number six your order on the first issue of an arc is your minimum order on each subsequent issue of that arc. Wow. Yes. 
Which I feel like that is something that helps them out a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously. They've, uh, they really are, are strict about their, their rules, so. Can I can I go ahead and put my name on the lot because I actually looked that up and that starts in oh, July yeah. and that looks really awesome. <laughs> it does. That's one, that's one of mine that I'm waiting for too. I've enjoyed everything so far, but the lot looks really cool. Yeah, we'll, the art we'll style of that one looks really amazing. Not that okay, it, their past ones haven't, but that one really draws yeah. me. Yeah, it, uh, it does look great. Yeah, I'll get you down. Awesome. And we'll talk we'll talk about that later on and uh, when we get closer to release date for that. Uh, definitely look forward to hearing from that because I'm pretty much going to bring up every bad idea book. Yes. Um, they started off strong and they've got me at this point. So for the next uh, section, I don't have as clever of a title, so I'm not going to read it. But I want to talk about compensation in the comics industry, which came up uh, because Tanahisi Coates, um, who's been writing for Black Panther uh, recently, talked to Polygon and about their issues with compensation for creators in the industry, which echoes something that Ed Brubaker was talking about earlier this year about how much money he's received based on, he created the winter soldier and wrote that original comic. Um, now granted the winter soldier ended up being based on a character. They used a character Bucky from the past, but the captain America two and three film in this show probably wouldn't exist. Had Ed Brubaker not existed. Um, so they're they're both kind of echoing the same thing that comic book authors and illustrators, they do work for hire and they are compensated. But when characters and uh, ideas of theirs uh, blow up, they don't receive any extra compensation uh, for the use of the characters they've created, which is part of the agreement. I get it. But it's something that comic book companies have been notorious about, especially the big two, Marvel and DC, for kind of using these contracts to screw over some of their creators. For instance, a big one, uh, you can find a documentary, I believe on Hulu, about Bill Finger, who is pretty much responsible for everything we know about Batman, Gotham City, Commissioner Gordon, Joker. He's the guy that created it all. But Bob Kane got all the credit because Bill Finger was just kind of a ghostwriter for it. So while Bob Kane was showing up on talk shows and at early comic conventions, Bill Finger was just living off the little bit that he had and actually didn't get credit until the document documentarian found his, uh, I think it was his granddaughter and got her to push back at DC. And now you can find created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger on everything that Batman touches, which is so awesome that that credit is there finally. So, um, but again, I think, you know, the complication here is that these creators are hired to create design for these companies and the companies retain the rights to the characters. So when it comes to creator compensation in this much more complex of a way, wh what do you guys think about that? What are your opinion? Uh, yeah, it's been a problem for a long time. I mean, it goes all the way back to to the creation of uh, superhero comics. It, it is a, a a tough thing because in the business, whenever you're wanting to break in, whether you want to or not, it, it seems like the path always goes through the big companies, DC, Marvel, and such. And when you go through there, there are also certain benefits you, you get from that. You get uh, – 
you get more notice, um, you know, you, you get to put your, your talents on display on a much bigger stage, uh, you know, that a lot of people end up cashing in on whenever they uh, go and do independent stuff. But, you know, a lot of times whenever you're, you know, working on, on some of these books and you create something that was so incredibly popular that, that you end up seeing it later. And influential too. Yeah. Being sold, you know, to audiences around the world in a movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, it could, I'm sure it would sting. The movie business is, is really bad to writers all around, but, uh, but what ends up happening with these Marvel books, DC books and such, they're like now a part of these huge, mega corporations that uh, are very much about farming intellectual property and holding on to it and using it and selling it over and over and over again. I don't really see that changing very, very much as far as how they write their contracts. There's a lot more money flowing through the business right now. I would imagine that they're probably offering better benefits and things to, uh, to these employees. But yeah, in the end you can get really, really screwed over. Yeah, not everyone can get that George Lucas deal where George Lucas got pretty much like a huge percentage of all toy sales. Yeah. Um, uh, that's and, because that's they when thought toys it was big gonna... for, yeah. When they toys weren't big for movie adaptations, so they were like, yeah, whatever, George, you can have yeah, that. And now he's thought like, it was going to bomb, and now he's like made an empire on like toy money. He's in a toilet of C3PO's. <laughs> <laughs> Dear. Um, now, I have a really hard problem with it. I don't like the idea. I don't know how you would fix it. I don't know about how the contracts are actually physically like really written out or anything. Being at a public university and being in an art school uh, or in the art department, uh, everything that I created while I was at university doesn't belong to me. Uh, the university owns the, the actual rights to it. And I have a big problem with that. And I don't like that idea, but I don't know. I can't think of a solution because, I mean, theoretically, I'm paying them to use their resources and so they in exchange get the you know the rights to anything that's created while you're attending school there and i feel like that's kind of the same situation that it's it's weird it's really weird um i think that these artists uh should get compensation when something blows up like the winter soldier um when a movie deal or a you know I mean, hell, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was massive, massive as well as these movies. And I think that that artist should be compensated. And I think that these, they should go back and, and do something to compensate, you know, some sort of royalties should be allowed. And I, I think, you know, that's where, you know, it does get complicated because, you know, not everyone, everything that someone creates is going to be adapted or made. Yeah. And so it's like, well, do you promise them a percentage then or now? You don't really know what's going to happen to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's definitely, you know, we're asking a mega corporation to do a good guy move. Yeah. And, and that's choose it. to do that. I don't know about that happening. I don't either. <laughs> I mean, we all um, love Stan Lee, but for some reason, Stan Lee is the one that got everything. Yeah. You know. And, I mean, Stan Lee, like, that's a, that's a whole other conversation yeah. later. Yeah. Um, oh, it's still complicated. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. 
But I agree. I think I think there's something that they could do for these creators if they decide to adapt that to make a success. Last time I checked, the Avengers movie series makes more money than you know more money than God, and so they could they could afford you know I think Ed Brubaker I believe was the writer who said like yeah because he he cameoed I think on Falcon and Winter Soldier and said that he made more money for his cameo than he has off the character. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which I'm like, bro, how much like money how did much you are comic creators making? Is it really like- pennies? Yeah, you you think they could work out something like like they do with actors and, and other and directors and things like that where they give them like points on the on the back end of stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, and maybe they will eventually, or something like as as bigger creators start coming out, maybe they will work out something. Uh, right now, it just seems like frustration. Yeah. Um, and what it's going to take is going to take it's going to take the big creators who the industry can't afford to just drop like that. You've got to be you do have to be one of the best. Well, again, that's a really complex thing. We'd love for you guys to visit our Facebook page and let us know what you think about compensation for creators. We know it's complex. Uh, We're not agreeing or disagreeing with anybody, but it's just important to hear everybody's point of view. So next, we are going to get to our graphic recommendations. This is the part of the podcast where we get to talk about something that you can read from beginning to end collected in graphic novel format. And today, James is going to talk to us about a book called Thud. James, uh, go ahead and talk to us about Thud. It's a book that uh, came out from Fantagraphics. I believe it might have been released overseas before this. Uh, it's uh, from uh, it's from Germany. It's a book about uh, a young man who uh, has his mother his mother die, and he's sort of uh, forced out in, in, into the world for the first time. He has to learn a lot of things about life. He's uh, he has a, a developmental disorder. You know, he had been living just just him and his mom for for so long. You know, when she passed, he ends up going to a, a, this village in Germany. Apparently, this is true. This is actually a, a real place that is pretty much largely populated and run by, by people with developmental disabilities. They have like a local restaurant, a local bar, the supermarket, and it's uh you know reminds you that America does it terrible job taking care of people with developmental disabilities. But um, yeah, this is like a really cool place. It sort of follows this young man as he sort of learns about, you know, life and death and love. Uh, This book really does a good job of creating empathetic characters. They really treat these characters with respect. And I mean, it can be really heart wrenching. Some of the uh, characterizations of, of the of the different people in, in the town are just like spot on, you know, as, as somebody who's worked with people with developmental disabilities, you know, that was really kind of what led me to it. Uh, it's just a really great book and I would highly recommend it to anyone, but particularly people who are working in, you know, the mental health field or uh, people with developmental disabilities and parents of, uh, of uh, kids with developmental disabilities. It'd be a, it's a great read. Very cool. Yeah, I I wasn't aware that there was anything like that. Um, you know, you're saying that it's, so it's based on like a real town in Germany. Yeah, it's called uh, Nur Nurkerode. I don't know. 
Uh, Your German is just spot yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, my my German uh, <laughs> pronunciation is terrible, but yeah, it's a it's, it's an actual place. Very cool. Um, I'm gonna have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Oh, though I think my favorite thing about us meeting up and starting this podcast is now I I feel like I already had too much to read, and you guys have now given me <laughs> so much more to read. So now I'm reading instead of watching TV every day. Thanks, guys. Wow. I appreciate you You're rating my TV watching habits. TV. I need to rewatch all nine seasons of Modern Family. Don't you understand? <laughs> if I don't rewatch Stargate SG One, who will? Mm. I love that show so much. I'll rewatch the movie <laughs> with you, but I'm not rewatching the series. Oh, the show! I love it so much. I haven't seen Nothing. it. It's the only time I've ever. Oh, it's the only time I. You know, when I first started it. MacGyver replaces Kurt Russell's character as, as an actor to play. And I was just kind of like, how do you replace Kurt Russell? But after, you know, 10 seasons, I was like, oh, that's how you do it. Okay. Cool, 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 yes. Cool. And, and the author of this great book that you should be reading instead of watching Stargate. Yes. Is, uh, <laughs> Mikhail Ross. It's oh, a, Mikhail Ross. Yeah. It's a so, great book. So that is Thud, T H U D, by Mikhail Ross, M I K A E L. R O S S. So yep. definitely check that out instead of watching Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we every week we take a look at this really great website called League of Comic Geeks. I've got to give them a lot of credit because they put together an amazing, well thought out list of everything that's coming out this week. Not just comics, but graphics, reprints, alternate covers. And so every week we take a look ahead and find some books that look interesting. These aren't reviews. These are just, we found the preview pages for this, looked at it and we're like, this sounds cool to us. And so I'll start as normal with a couple of books, and the third book I have is actually shared by James, so I'll let James talk about it. Um, it looks really cool. But the first one I'm going to talk about is Tankers Number 2 by Bad Idea. <laughs> it's written by Robert Vendetti and illustrated by Juan Jose Rip. And this uh, this is all about a small military group that go back in time to increase the amount of fossil fuels that the world has access to it. I felt like I felt shades of like Duke Nukem and dinosaurs and violence in 2000 AD. It's it's the first issue was a hilarious read and it's just over the top. Um, and I don't want to spoil what happens at the end of issue number one, but something is going on to where they'll be fighting something maybe more than a dinosaur. So uh, number two comes out this week you definitely need to check out the first. I'm really, really excited for it. I love, like, I read it and I was laughing at work. <laughs> People were like, what are you laughing at? Um, the next is something I talked about last week, and it is the first issue of The Conjuring the Lover, a five-issue limited series uh, that is co-written by the screenwriter behind The Conjuring 2 and The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It, which comes out this summer. Uh, the series is the premiere for DC's new horror imprint titled simply DC Horror. Really wish they had been more clever, but that's fine. You know, get to the point sometimes. And, you know, adapted properties and spinoffs aren't usually high quality, but the panels I've seen so far on this are just absolutely beautiful. And if this is what DC Horror wants to premiere with, there's hopefully something 
to it that makes it very, very good. So I'm high, I have high hopes for that. Uh, James, what is coming out this week that you think looks really cool? Well, uh, the nice house on the lake is the first thing that caught my eye. Yeah. Uh, everybody's really excited about this one. Uh, James Tiny in the fourth. He's got a very good record with, uh, with horror. You know, something is killing the children has just blown up here in the last year or so. And this is his next big outing. And he's doing it with, with DC actually for their, for their black label. For those who don't know the DC Black Label, DC has a bunch of typically miniseries, not ongoing, that are isolated from continuity if it does involve their superhero characters. But they also do a lot of original and mature properties here. Yeah, too. it's kind of like what uh, what Vertigo used to be. Yes, at, at DC, just kind of under a different uh, different label. This is a. Uh, it looks like it's going to be sort of that weird guy invites you out out to the hot house and. Things go amok. <laughs> um, uh, it's um, it's really um, it, it's really on everybody's uh, radar right now. And there's also Firepower number twelve, Robert Kirkman, Chris Samney. That has been a book that I think you know people should miss out on with all the uh, attention that uh, Invincible has gotten. Uh, this is very much a uh, its own type of, uh, of of story that that is sort of in that vein of you know a family that has an interesting history and there's a character that has to kind of step up and do what he needs to do and I'm always a sucker for martial arts um, comics. Issue twelve will mark the uh, first full year of, of the book and. There's uh, talk that there's going to be some some really big events going on in, in this issue, so looking forward to it. A ton of variant covers coming out for it. I think twelve. Yeah. Wow. It, I like that that Frank Miller one the best, honestly. Uh, I've, I've only looked through like a handful of them, and I was just like, I want them all. <laughs> I I yeah. don't need them. I work at the library. I am poor. <laughs> That's it's not an option. Don't look at me like that, James. <laughs> I uh, actually want to uh, read really bad or recommend because I am an absolute sucker for anything that is Boba Fett. And there is a new Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Most Wanted that is coming out this week that is starring Boba Fett. And I'm really super excited about that. It looks really cool. And from the clip of it, it looks like someone stole Han Solo. And he's trying to get him back. And it looks really interesting. So, uh, yeah. the, the, it's um, pretty much Boba Fett running around trying to trying to fight everybody all at one time to get back what was stolen from him. And it's done by um, Charles, I believe it's Sul? Or Soleil. Sol? Soleil? There we go. Maybe. And I I'm sure. <laughs> it looks really... Uh, looks really, really awesome, and the artwork is done by Steve McNeve and Neven. Excuse me. Um, so those look that looks really cool. And then um, another one that I ran across was Basilisk, and this is their number one, and it's a story of a girl named Raven who is a chimera who has. Um, she shares like a hive mind connection with these four other Chimera that she is hiding from. 
And then she has to go and end up hunting them down. And they have, like, supernatural sense-based powers. And so it looked really interesting. The artwork was really pretty on the cover. And so that really kind of drew me. And it is done by Boom Studios. And it's Colin Bunn, Jonas, I want to say Scarf, and Alex um, Gamirez, I believe. So that one, that one really drew me by the cover art. It looked really, really cool. And then the story of chimeras with supernatural abilities, of course. Yeah, um, I mean, as always. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, because I can't go uh, recommendations without recommending a webcomic, because that's my jam. That's my thing. So I want to take this opportunity to introduce everybody to Pixie and Brutus. And Pixie is an adorable, innocent little kitten whose owners decide to adopt Brutus, who is a retired military working dog. And it is about their adventures together and life and learning to live together with Pixie and her new big brother, Brutus. And um, I introduced, got introduced to it originally um, on Instagram. And then I have found it on web webcomics as well. And it is done by uh, Ben Head, who goes by Pet Foolery. And you can find him on Instagram. It's probably the easiest way. You can catch up on all of his comics that he actually does um, on Instagram. And it's Pet underscore Foolery. And he is just an amazing, cute little comic that I think everybody should read at some point in time. <laughs> And you can find links to all that in our show notes or go to our Sprout page where we're hosting all of the podcasts and you'll find the show notes with links to all of the series. And also you can go to our Facebook and Instagram to look at quick panels, some preview panels for all the series that we've mentioned here today that we think you should check out. Um, I will definitely be checking them out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now you're dancing. It's got me in the dancing mood. James, dance with us. <laughs> I just love Pet Foolery. I'm sorry. Pixie and Brutus are life. I this love this This is a dude. Pixie Brutus situation. <laughs> I'll dancing. It, it, it James is like, really interesting. It's really cute. And, like, they do some, like, it's heartbreaking. Like, it's, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, I never want to put anything on the same pedestal as Calvin and Hobbes. But it does what I think some of the best, like, you know, online and, you know, like, Sunday comics and things like that have done. And that, you know, yeah, there's comedy there, but there's drama and heart. Um, and I, I've read a bunch of them. I've seen them posted on Facebook pretty frequently. Uh, I really like them. So definitely check him out. Give that guy some attention. Maybe support him. I don't know. He has a Patreon. He does have a Patreon. And he's not asking us to do this. We nope. literally just really like it. So we can do whatever we want. Exactly. <laughs> Ain't no one paying us yet. Uh, <laughs> probably never, but... So okay. I want to keep doing whatever we want. Yes. So <laughs> thank you for listening this week. We hope you found something to read this week from all of our recommendations. And if not, keep listening. Every week we're going to come back with new recommendations, ideas, and news about the comic book industry. Make sure to check us out at Facebook.com or Instagram at BF Comics Podcast. And comics is spelled C-O-M-I-C-S, not C-O-M-I-X. Because um, that's a the thing. There's a video game in the 90s named Comics Zone. I'm getting on a tangent. Um, yes, you are. My apologies. You are looking at me like, come on, Marcus, let's finish. <laughs> but again, this week I had two new co-hosts because it's the other two 
members of our team, uh, Mallory, who I'm now calling Malcontent, <laughs> and James, who I've now decided to call Beta Ray James. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's got the it's got the same kind of ring to it Beta Ray Bill does. And, I don't know. Just something I'm feeling about that. All right. Anyways, thanks again for listening to us. We will see y'all next week for more comics news at the VF Comics Podcast. 